Hey, welcome back. I'm Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. One of the other partners is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Elizabeth and I do a weekly podcast we call Elder Law Issues. Oh, wait, that's what you're listening to right now. And Elizabeth is right here. Hey, hey, Elizabeth. Hey, Robert. I'm so glad you could make it. Uh, I thought this week maybe we could talk about family settlement agreements, which uh, maybe you can tell us whether it's the same thing. I started to say they're sometimes also called, but maybe they're di- there are different shadings, non-judicial settlement agreements, or sometimes because lawyers love acronyms, NJSAs. Well, Robert, there are all sorts of different types of agreements. There are rules that relate to agreements. If you're doing an agreement for a probate case, that may be very different in some ways than the rules that would apply if you're doing one of these family agreements in a trust administration case. Oh, I kind of thought that family settlement agreement meant I will stop talking smack about my brother-in-law and he will no longer tell my kids that I'm a loser. No, No, Robert. (laughs) Usually in our office, when we see people come in and want help with a family settlement agreement, they're talking about a trust administration case or probate or both. And I think one of the things I want to underscore to our listeners today is that many times people have the idea that creating a family settlement agreement is going to simplify the administration of the probate or the trust administration. The answer is it depends. Because when we think about a family settlement agreement, Robert, there needs to be way more than just how much money everybody is getting. There have to be terms in the agreement about who is giving up what. There has to be description of what is being given up. And when I say description, I mean substantiated information. So you may have exhibits showing the value of certain assets, but there has to be full and fair disclosure that's provided to parties so folks know what they're giving up in exchange for what they agree to take. I think, Robert, this is one of the areas of our practice that I enjoy. Working on family settlements is something that allows us to help families get past what could otherwise turn into litigation and try and give something to everybody so people walk away happy. So give us a little context. What is it that you're usually doing in a family settlement agreement or a non-judicial settlement agreement? Is it that you are trying to wrap up and end a trust that you're, you're now sorry somebody created before they died? Not necessarily, Robert. Usually when we see these come up, it's because folks want to operate outside of the terms of the trust or outside of what would normally be provided under Arizona law. So the interest that somebody may have to begin with may be provided in exchange for something like cash or another type of property. And so what ends up happening is the person who died, that person's document, whether it was a trust or whether it was in their estate that went through probate, the disposition of that will probably be changed through the terms of the family settlement agreement. And Robert, there's a lot of different creative ways to exchange things. And it doesn't just have to be that I'm going to give up my one-third interest in my grandmother's estate for $20,000. It could be quite a bit more complicated than that. It could include future interests. So potentially future interests that I might have to money that the IRS provides in a refund. You know, when we think about these agreements, Robert, they can be pretty expansive when we think about everything that could be included. Might I, for instance, agree with my brother that our other brother, who our mother disinherited, 
could share in part of the estate? Could we have an agreement to ignore her having disinherited my loser brother? By the way, if my loser brother is listening, I don't mean you. I mean the other one. <laughs> so, Robert, yes, you, you, you can figure out your ways on a family level to navigate and negotiate and get away from your mother's intent to disinherit somebody. But, Robert, what's critical here is that everybody who is going to be involved would sign on to the agreement to understand what they were giving up. So you could not sign on behalf of your brother to say that he was going to give up his share. This is something that also there's some, uh, I would say, pretty frequent misunderstanding about. You can't be the person who's the personal representative, also known in some states as the executor. And we're talking about Arizona law today. You you are not going to be able to be the executor in Arizona and sign a family settlement agreement in a probate case and bind all the beneficiaries of the estate, bind all of the heirs to that agreement. And I assume it's the same for a trust. The trustee can't just declare how it's going to be uh, handled. It requires all of the beneficiaries to sign on as well. That's right, Robert. And I tell people that it is really a best practice to get these agreements in front of the court so that the fiduciary, either the successor trustee or the personal representative, has the blessing and the direction of the court to proceed with the terms of of the family agreement, meaning that the family agreement is then going to be the document that directs what happens next, not necessarily Arizona law or the terms of the original trust. But one of these kinds of agreements is called a non-judicial settlement agreement. What kind of sense does that make if we're going to do a non-judicial settlement agreement and then ask the judge to bless it? Well, Robert, sometimes with these, people don't feel that there's necessarily a purpose. It's more administrative cost to go in front of a court to bless a non-judicial settlement agreement. The thing that I tell people is, well, you don't have to go to court if if you followed all the terms under Arizona law to have a non-judicial settlement agreement be valid. It's a different question around enforcement, particularly when we think about the issues of notice. And when we think about um, any kind of family agreement, Robert, we have to think about a party's current interest in an estate and a party's future interest in in a state. So something like a non-judicial settlement agreement, well, it does not necessarily have to be filed the way that other types of agreements may need to be with the court. It's really, in my opinion, a best practice because it will help clear the way for anybody who would be a remainder beneficiary or contingent beneficiary who might have a future interest and then later want to come back and contest it. What, what has been our experience with judges and settlement agreements? If all of the family has signed off, are the judges inclined to really study it and say, oh, but I don't think this is fair or this is not permissible under Arizona law? I have not had that happen, Robert. My experience has been that judges are really happy to know that something like a family agreement was reached to avoid litigation. So oftentimes the court's going to support an agreement if all the parties have signed on. Now, if we had a case where there was going to be court approval of a family settlement agreement and we were missing one of the signatures of one of the parties to the agreement who might be an heir, that's a different case. The court would likely ask what the terms of the agreement were and then had everybody signed on or did everybody provide consents. And if we were missing a consent, Robert, I do not think that the court would proceed. So bottom line is if you are in a circumstance where a trust or a will or an inheritance is tied up in a way that is unpleasant, unattractive, unhelpful, 
and you and all of the other heirs or beneficiaries or distributees can come to an agreement to handle it differently, you can likely, I started to say probably, but let's leave it at likely, you can likely consider a settlement agreement so long as everybody knows what's going on, everybody's in agreement, and maybe the judge blesses it um, as a way of getting out from under the, the onerous requirements of the will or trust. Is that basically it? That's correct, Robert. You've got it right. All right. Well, sounds like a lovely tool for changing the bad ideas that your parents or grandparents had. How often are these done on 50-year-old trusts that, that, um, that seem really outdated now as opposed to two-year-old trusts that seem to just be the, the product of some ill will on the part of the person who wrote the trust? You know, Robert, I think it really depends really depends on the attorney involved. So oftentimes we can look back at these trusts that were created decades and decades ago. And if there's ambiguity, um, the, the wording might be strange, or there may be rules that could be tax, tax-driven rules that have changed. Those are really good opportunities to think about doing some kind of a family agreement, simply because you want to clear up some of the administrative provisions. When we see a document that was created more recently, Robert, um, if a beneficiary said, you know, I know that um, this this person before she died knew exactly what she was doing with her will, and I simply don't want to sign on. There's no evidence that I should operate outside of the terms of the will to give up my interest for X. I think that's going to be a harder case to do a family settlement agreement simply because the testator, the person who's died, uh, would have died more recently. You know, I, I feel like I need to give an illustration and and your description just now uh, makes me see the, the one from our practice that really speaks to it. A 50-year-old trust said everything goes to my child and on his death to his children. The law at the time excluded adopted children. The law today includes adopted children. The, the son of the person who wrote the trust did adopt one child and had a natural child. So what's the right law? And this family settlement agreement allowed us to get everybody on the same page. Everybody agreed. Both children ought to, ought to participate. And um, we went and had the judge bless it, and it's just no issue. We resolved a potential legal problem painlessly. And that's what you can use family settlement agreements for. I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are here at the law firm, the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, hoping to solve your, your estate and trust problems. Um, if you happen to live in, and work in Arizona, give us a call or join us for our next podcast. We'll talk with you then.